Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will be Psalms 63, verses 1 through 8. O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Please be seated. Now would you open God's book, please, to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to start in the 17th verse. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 17, and it's wonderful to see all of you here. We have a great crowd, and as I look over the room, we have a lot of people visiting. You're at a place today where you will always be welcome. An essential part of the Christian life, of course, is prayer. How are you doing on that? How, uh, how's your prayer life? There are times in our lives when we face deep problems. There's a blessing attached to that, even as hard as they are, because of prayer. Problems make you pray deeper prayers, longer prayers, more sincere prayers, frequent prayers. In our passage today, we have a prayer that Abraham prayed to God, and it is unique. Now, there are some prayers that I cannot pray. There's some prayers that are hard for me to pray. Some prayers I just can't imagine myself praying. For example, I can't pray or teach people to pray the, um, a prayer to the Lord to be saved, who are people who are outside of Christ. The sinner's prayer, as it's widely known. Something like, Father, come into my heart, sit on the throne of my life. Thank you for saving me right here and right now. I cannot pray that prayer, and I cannot teach people to pray that prayer because the New Testament never, ever shows a person wanting to be saved in Christ, an alien sinner wanting to come into Christ, praying that prayer. It's not how it was done, not how we were taught to do it. And then there are prayers that I cannot pray because I've not suffered the way some people have suffered. That would be true, frankly, with some people who are in this room. But I think I'm into the extreme in Luke chapter 16. And, and Lazarus said, Father Abraham, send, or, or uh, the rich man rather, send Lazarus, he said, that he may dip his finger in water and touch it to my tongue. I'm tormented. I've never prayed like that. I've never suffered like that. There are prayers that I find very difficult to pray. You ever read the imprecatory psalms? These are psalms that are written, and there's a number of them in the, in the book of psalms that are a type of 
of curse that are placed on the enemies of God or on David's enemies. For example, in Psalm 35, can we throw that verse up? Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. Or Psalm 58 and verse 6, are you ready for this? Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of their young lions, O Lord. And some of them are stronger than that. I know that there's a place for such prayers. I would find that difficult, or I do find that difficult. The prayer that I want to talk about today is unique. It's a prayer that has qualities about it that were very impressive to God. God approved this prayer, and he, and he um, acknowledged the prayer, and he, he gave an answer of yes to this prayer over and over again. And so I want us to learn from it. I want us to draw lessons from it so that, that we can pray like Abraham prayed on this occasion. All right, I want to read it first. Let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 17. And just bear with me. Let's read the whole thing. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great nation, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, you understand what that means. From his seed, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Ultimately, the Messiah is going to come from Abraham's seed. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Follow the prayer. Would you do that? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous shall be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord, how does he, how you reckon the Lord would respond to such bold talk? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken... Incidentally, I I wonder if that has to do with the fact that man is created from the dust and he goes to the ashes. I'm, I'm dust and ashes, have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for a lack of five? So he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. 
And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now you remember what's going on here is that Abraham's nephew Lot is a resident of Sodom and Lot's family. But the cry of wickedness, homosexuality, is right, namely, is rising up in the ears of the Lord. And so he's going to go down and see for himself about Sodom. The angels are sent, and, and this is just before it happens. And so Abraham becomes aware of the fact that all of Sodom is going to be destroyed, and he knows that, that you've got Lot there. My nephew not Lot is there, and his wife and his kids, they're there, and maybe some grandchildren. His family is there. I've got people there, and, and I know that there's righteous. And so he begins to pray to God, and he pleads in this case for Sodom. Now, here's the first point that I want to draw for our prayers. Abraham is obviously well acquainted with God. You have this closeness here that is not dissimilar from what you would find with with Lazarus and Mary and Martha there in Bethany, and Jesus would come and sit down at their table and eat with them, and you can imagine those kinds of of, of conversations, of casual, I would love to do that with Jesus, just casual conversations to just talk. And and you see this, this give and take with Abraham and God, and I understand, of course, that we don't have God talking directly to us. I got that, of course, but, but you still have this, this kind of relationship. James 2 and 23 says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Ready? And Abraham was called the friend of God. Wow, that's real. I'm telling you, it's real. It's not right that I would treat God in a way that I would just treat any of my close friends and that I would be so casual with him that I would forget that he is my God. It would be wrong to pray like that. And yet, to talk to him like a friend is not wrong. I don't, talk, I don't talk to strangers like that. I mean, you know, you, you, don't, you might get on an airplane and sit next to somebody, and I, I'm not very chatty on airplanes. I, 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 sometimes I, I guess I've enjoyed conversations. I, I sat next to a man that was fully dressed in Jewish garb one day. Well, that just tickled me to death. I just couldn't. I, I, I wanted to engage him. I wanted to talk to him about his beliefs and his faith and and I, I found that he didn't, I don't know if he's characteristic of most of the men dressed like that. He didn't know much about the Bible. And so that conversation went not very long. He, he was rather frustrated with the conversation. But I'm, I'm just about chatting. And if you, if you met a stranger, you probably wouldn't be inclined to talk about private things. You wouldn't tell your innermost things. Now, sometimes in marriage teaching, I'll talk about the different levels of communication in marriage, you know, you have a special level of communication, and everybody in this room who's married ought to be practicing to make this as healthy as they can. So the levels, the five levels, I didn't write this, but the five levels of communication are the frivolous level, right, the factual level, like at a, at a workplace, fellowship level, the friendship or the, yeah, the friendship level, that gets a little closer. But then marriage, you know, you have this freedom level. The freedom level is where you can just talk about anything. And it's reserved in human relationships only for your spouse. You can talk to your spouse in a way that you wouldn't talk to anybody else. It's a freedom level of communication. And you have to stimulate that. You have to work on that. Keep it healthy. But you have that with God too. He's not human, but you have it with God. And here, here you have Abraham praying like this with God. Well, the judge of all the earth, the judge of all the earth will do right. 
And it didn't make any sense in Abraham's mind that what was going to happen here is that God was going to judge the righteous and, and to destroy the, the righteous with the unrighteous. That, that doesn't, I don't get that. So here's the thing I want to say is that you need to be close to God. And that, that's not just preacher talk. I'm, I mean, you, it's about praying often. It's about creating this relationship where you can have this kind of, of conversation with God, a conversational private kind of prayer that Abraham is having with God. And I want to talk some more about that prayer. But the first thing I want you to see is that this was not something unusual. Now, one more thing before I leave this point. We often emphasize that we need to trust God. And then in our prayers, we need to trust God. And, and that's right, of course. But can God trust you? I mean, in reference to what you would pray for or ask for, can he trust you? I mean, if you pray, you might pray, for example, some of you young, younger people, you might pray for a spouse. God, give me a, give me a wife. I want a wife. I want a husband. I want a, I want a Christian mate. I, I think that prayer has been prayed from people in this room many, many, many times. Can God trust you when you get that spouse to create a home that is Christian, truly a Christian home, to serve him? And sometimes people pray for children, and people in this room have prayed for children. And you can see that that prayer has been answered a lot of times in this room. Eh? A lot of t- we have a lot of wonderful children. God trusts you with that baby? Can God trust you to raise that child in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord? Can he? When you, talk, when you pray to him, you say, I really want this, this job advancement or whatever it happens to be, and I'm striving for this is the next step on the ladder for my career, and I pray for this. Can he trust you with that? Can he trust, to, trust you that if he gives you that, he blesses you that way, that you're going to reverence him and respect him in your life, and you're going to serve him despite the fact that you have this advancement, or can he not trust you that way? All right, here's the first one. Here's the first point, is that Abraham has this close relationship. Abraham is the friend of God. Now, here's the second one. Number two. Here we go. Abraham's persistent in this prayer. Here's something about praying that you may not know. Abraham knew it. And you see him you see him say, he starts out at 50, if there's 50 righteous, and, but that's not where he ends up. And you have these stair steps, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, down to 10. You have these stair steps. And so he just keeps coming back and coming back and coming. You might say, well, I don't want to bother God. That seems, that seems uh, too much to me. I wonder if there's prayers. I wonder, I wonder that if there's times in our lives when God wills to take care of us in some way or give us something that is our request, but, but, we, but we give up before that happens. There's something about God that appreciates persistence in prayer. That is to say that we would ask multiple times over and over and over for something that is truly important to our lives. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think that is in just a couple of minutes. But first, this is not the only place where this happens, in Luke chapter 11, for example, Jesus gives a parable about a man who, who has a neighbor, and, and this, this, the first man has a, a friend come at midnight, and, and this, he doesn't have anything to feed him. And the man, the visitor at midnight, wants something to eat, and so this man goes to his neighbors, and he knocks, and he says, you've got to get up. I need, I need a couple of loaves of bread. And the man hollers back, I'm already in bed. My kids are already in bed. Go away. Come back tomorrow. He knocks again. I, 
I told you I'm already in bed. Do you ever have to get up in the middle of the night and you're frustrated because it's not a big deal? Well, that's how he felt and go away, leave me alone. The knocking kept happening and of course what happens is he gets up out of bed and he gives him the bread. Now, don't, take, don't try to make a lot of this parable. Don't, don't go in directions that isn't, aren't relevant. What's relevant is the core of this, which is that because of his persistence, the man got out of bed and gave him the bread. Persistence. And he says, that's how, that's how it is with you and God. God wants you to pray. He wants you to pray often. He wants you to pray over and over for the things that you, you passionately want. He appreciates persistence. And you go to Luke chapter 18 after that, and you have another example. And here's a widow woman who has some sort of an adversary, and she goes to the judge, and she says, you've got to help me with my adversary. The judge doesn't care about her, and he doesn't believe in God. And he doesn't want to bother with her. But she keeps, keeps coming back to his courtroom, coming back and coming back and back. And finally he does it just because of her persistence. Now you might say, well, that's kind of irritating. Hold on a minute. Jesus applies it to us. The point of the little parable is that he wants us to be persistent in prayer. And that's what Abraham is. Are you persistent in prayer? Okay, why do you think that is? Why would God want us persistent in prayer? And Let me take a stab at that. I believe it's because when it comes to my praying and God's inaction in prayer, persistence demonstrates that I do not believe it's because of his inability to answer my prayer. And it's not because of his indifference that he's not answering my prayer. I know he loves me and I know he's God and I know he has all power. And I believe it's an expression of my faith. What I know for a fact is that God appreciates persistence in prayer. And so you've got that here. And and Abraham prays over and over and over. He keeps on pressing. Now, in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 22, we have an example of this Syrophoenician woman. Comes to a Canaanitish woman, comes to Jesus, and she says, My daughter, this is a Gentile, my daughter has a demon. And Jesus, Jesus uh, first ignores her. You can't believe it. I think he did it for his disciples standing around there. He wanted them to, to understand what it was like that sometimes the Jews would just reject any kind of help to the Gentile people, and Jesus needed to teach, teach them a lesson. And so first he ignores her, just pretend she's not there. But then she keeps coming. But she says, wait, my daughter is possessed with a demon and needs some help. And Jesus said, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and just ignores her. But she keeps coming and she, she persists and he comes and he says, no, he says listen, and this was harsh. You just can't hardly believe it's coming from his lips. But Jesus says, it's not appropriate to give the children's food to the little dogs. Oh, it chills me. You think that the the jaws of those disciples around him didn't drop? They they get this. You can't treat her this way. And she said, yes, but Lord, even, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And he turned to her and he said, your faith is so great. I, I hereby give you what you're asking. And from that hour, her daughter was relieved of that demon. He was testing her. I think he was teaching his disciples a lesson. The point that I want you to see is that it's about persistence. It was about persistence. and, And that's something that's in this prayer with Abraham. And it ought to be something in your prayer. 
don't just pray something important once and drop it. It does not offend God that you ask him over and over again. It doesn't offend him. As a matter of fact, these passages demonstrate that he appreciates that. All right, now, here's number three. It's a prayer of intercession. Intercessory, as an intercessory prayer, is a a Latin word that literally means to go in between. And, And the idea is that how about your prayers? You ever, you ever finish your prayers and you, you think, it just feels like something's missing? Maybe it's, maybe it's that we pray selfishly. It's not wrong to ask God for what you want. It's not wrong to pray only about your concerns. I mean, that's very important. But what if that's exclusively what you do? And, and this is an intercessory prayer. It is to say that I'm, I'm praying to God, but I'm praying about all of them. I'm praying about other people. This is an unselfish way to pray. When you pray, are you praying for it about other people? I had a man say to me the other day, I want you to know that you're on my prayer list. I was grateful for that. And I also was impressed by what we all should have. Some, some way that we, that we record things that we need to pray about and people we need to pray about. And, and that we, prayer, we pray prayers of, that are intercessory prayers. What's Abraham praying for? He's praying for Sodom here, but in particular, he's praying for the righteous. What about the righteous? And you're going to destroy the righteous among the unrighteous. That doesn't seem like you, that's not what you, is that consistent with your character? Greatest prayer of intercession in the Bible is John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, about verse 20. I don't pray for these alone those disciples with him, but also for those who will believe on me through their word, that they may be one, Father, as thou art in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, what's he doing? He's praying not just for those disciples who are there. That's a prayer of intercession. But he's also praying for you and for me now. I mean, there are there are telescopic prayers that we pray into the future, and that's what he's doing right now, and he's praying for other people. I'd say that's the sweetest, the best prayer of intercession in the Bible. You have it other places too. In Numbers chapter 21, remember when the people of Israel complained about manna. Don't, don't, don't you be doing that. You, you, you get cut off from the manna, you'll die. You, you can't be sustained without that manna, but they didn't like it. And they fussed about it and how it was just a punishment to have to eat manna. And God sent serpents among the people. And, and they bit the people. The people began to die. And then the people began to repent. And they begged Moses. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. That's a prayer of intercession. He, stayed, he stood in the gap. He prayed for them. He was praying for them. How are you doing on that? in your prayers. You pray prayers of intercession for people. What about 1 Samuel chapter 12? The people of God asked for a king, the Israelites, and it was against the will of God, and they were punished for it. And then they began to repent, and, and Samuel, they begged Samuel to pray for him, and Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. That's a prayer of intercession. That's what that is. And the Lord prayed, from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What Abraham was doing was praying a prayer of intercession. He was praying for other people in behalf of other people. What you and I need to be doing is praying for the people in the church. 
What we need to do, be doing is, uh, you know what? The Bible teaches I ought to pray even for my enemies and commands us to do that. Matthew 5 and verse 44, right? Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. What's that? Mm, praying a prayer of intercession. Here's number four. This, this is a bold prayer, and it's a humble prayer. It's bold and it's humble. I mean, yeah, I've got this, this mixture here that is appropriate. It's not wrong for us to pray bold prayers before God. Hebrews 4 and verse 16, we come boldly to the throne of grace, don't we? But we never forget who we are. We never forget who he is. And so in, in verse 25, far be it from you. And this is harsh. This is strong, bold. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this. Abraham's talking to God to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Should not the judge, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? But now look at 27. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. So you have this boldness that God didn't criticize Abraham for. He didn't punish him for it. In fact, he grants him his request. It's boldness. But Abraham doesn't forget who he is. I, I think it's surely somewhat like our children. My children are grown now. When they were little, they respected me. Maybe sometimes a little bit feared me in a healthy way. But they obeyed me. Then they grew up into adults. And... And uh, I know that it's not always this way, and I frankly count this as a great blessing. They both still respect me, and, and that's, that's very precious to me. But it's not just that. It's that our, our relationship now has sort of evolved so that we have conversations. Uh, they, they can talk to me in a way that reasons with me, and sometimes they even disagree with me, if you can even believe that. They might, we might be talking about some subject and they disagree with me uh, in a way that still sustains the respect, but, but I, may, I may end up agreeing with them. And with Caleb, with my son, he's a gospel preacher, and it is not uncommon for us to talk about Scripture and about sermons and about points and about how this should be approached or that should be approached. And, and sometimes we don't see it eye to eye. I don't resent that. I love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to have a conversation with Hannah or with Caleb that's at that adult level. They maintain the respect. I'm still dad. I, you know, that's not in question. But, but to be able to have that warm kind of exchange is very, very sweet. And you can't get that until they mature into adulthood. Abraham speaks boldly to God, but he always remembers who he is. I'm just... I'm just dust and ashes, and I know who you are. I know you're my God. I know it. All right, now let's go on. Last point. Let's go to number five. And so, so here it is. Based on God's character. The prayer was based on an understanding of God's character. Verse 25 said, the God of all the earth will do right. The operative principle in this is God's justice. Now, I would offer this, that 
Abraham is not just protecting or trying to, trying to protect the righteous, trying to protect his family members. Incidentally, I don't know how many family members he's got there. You, you've got Lot and his wife, and we don't know how many children Lot had, or how many grandchildren for that matter. And maybe with the 50, I mean, who's the righteous that Abraham's praying for? And maybe in the 50, Abraham's just trying to sweep all of Lot's extended family into that one thing and hoping that they're righteous. Maybe that was the point. And you bring it on down because he doesn't really know about that. And, and it comes all the way down. So you'd say this prayer of intercession was for Lot and his family and perhaps some Sodom in there. His purpose wasn't to try to dissuade God from destroying Sodom. Sodom had to be punished for their sin. It wasn't that. It was, it was that he wanted to postpone it postpone it until you get those people out. And incidentally, too, the, the end of this prayer is that God is going to make an exit available to all the righteous, right? Anybody who's righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah has a chance to get out before it's destroyed. And that comes, I don't know if a consequence of the prayer, if God would have done it anyway, but that's what Abraham is appealing to him about. Let the righteous get out. It's also to protect God's character and who he is. I mean, Abraham's filled up with this. Should not the, the judge of all the earth do right? Shall not he do right? You, you can't, God, this can't be consistent with who you are. It can't be consistent with your character. And so here is, here is Abraham defending the character of God. When we pray, we don't pray in violation to God's character. That would be wrong. In other words, if God... Declare something in Scripture to be factually right. This is my will. This is my character. This is what is sinful and what is not sinful. And I, and I pray, I don't want that to be a sin. You're insulting God's character, right? There's a line you cannot cross. I'm arguing that, that Abraham didn't do that. Abraham didn't cross that line. He is cognizant of, and, and the operative point is that God's character is to be maintained. But what God apparently is going to do would be inconsistent with his character. I want to defend the character. And our prayers must do the same. And we, we remember who he is. It is our study of his word. We, we maintain the principles of his word, of his righteousness. But there are things within his will that haven't occurred yet. And we can appeal to him. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Abraham prayed on this occasion. He is somebody who is the friend of God. And he prayed in a way that I, th- I think could really benefit us. Is he bold? Yes. Does he respect and reverence God? Yes, he does. Is he, is he pleading with God? Yes. Is he persistent? I declare he's persistent. <laughs> Over and over and over again, he, he brings that number down and because he doesn't know where God's will will be about this matter. And we should learn from that. And it's a prayer for other people. We should learn from that. I wonder if there's someone here today who's not a Christian. The fact of the matter is that the privilege of prayer and the assurance that God listens to our prayer in a, an affirming way, in an accepting way, requires us to be Christians. One of the benefits of being in Christ is that he listens to our prayers. Ephesians 1.3 says that spiritual blessings are in Christ. 
Are you in Christ? The only way to get into Christ is by obeying the gospel. The only way to be in Christ is, is through baptism. We must repent of our sins and confess Jesus and be baptized. Have you done that? If the answer is no, wouldn't now be a great time to do that? Wouldn't it be wonderful to, to be able to rightly enjoy all the spiritual blessings in Christ, to be able to pray with assurance that he favorably looks on our prayers? And if you're already a child of God, but you need today the prayers of your brothers and sisters, and, and hearing this sermon, you think, I want people to pray prayers of intercession for me, to pray for me, we'll be so happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. Brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.